Well, good morning again, church. And as we uh, continue in our worship, we want to turn our hearts to the reading of God's Word as we continue in our Matthew series. Now, I'm going to be reading this morning, and it'll also be up on the screens from Matthew chapter 9, uh, verses 35 through chapter 10, verses 15. Um, And if you have your Matthew journal with you and are following along, uh, that way we are on page 48. So if I could ask you all to stand out of reverence for the reading of God's Word. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon the zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town." This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. You may be seated. So good morning again, uh, church. My name is Kyle Reschke, and I serve as one of our pastors on staff here. As you heard, uh, Pastor Hannibal is not here in person this week because he is in person um, at Tri-Village along with our staff there. Um, I want you to know I'm glad you're here today. If any of you are are visiting and maybe checking out Wheaton Bible for the first or second time, I'm really glad you're here, and I want to encourage you to make sure you make a connect uh, before you leave the building today, okay? Um, The place you can do that, out in the atrium, you can't miss it, the big green sign that says welcome. That's the welcome desk. Or any of our uh, group's leaders Just make a connect. See what God uh, will do with that as you take a step uh, towards connecting with our church family here. And lastly, I know uh, so many of our missionaries who are tuning in uh, online from around the world, we want you to know we love you and are so grateful that you are part of 
uh, our Wheaton Bible Church family. So as we continue, church, we have some significant develops, developments in our study of Matthew this morning. Okay, we've heard uh, in, in recent weeks, we went through something called the Sermon on the Mount, arguably the most famous sermon ever preached. This is Jesus proclaiming, saying what the kingdom of God is like. So he's proclaiming the kingdom. He's doing it in word. And then the last couple weeks in chapters 8 and 9, we actually see Jesus living that out. He's healing the sick. He is living out his role as a king and great physician. He's raising the dead, right? Healing the blind. And so he's living it out indeed also. And so as we get to our concept today, we're going to trace this concept of compassion. I want you to see it's so important to see that in Christ and in the ministry Christ gives to his people, word and deed actually aren't separate things. They're always intertwined together. It's proclaiming the good news, proclaiming the kingdom of God has come near, and then living it out in actions, and those live together. And so I know there's a trend today, and I'm going to give you a little bit of an example. Some of us uh, prefer one or the other, say, you know what, Kyle, it is all about proclamation. Others say, no, it is all about our good deeds and what we do. And the example I want to offer to you, um, there's a quote often attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. Don't, not sure if the whole thing is from him, but today we attribute it. He said, preach the gospel in all that you do, and if necessary, use words. Now, first glance, some of you may go, oh, that's such a nice thought. You know, that as I'm out doing good deeds, people are just going to know that the kingdom of heaven has come near. And there, and there is a sense that they are signs of the kingdom, but no, you have to proclaim the one who has sent you to do the good deeds. And so these are together. This is like saying, I thought back to uh, years ago, my dating life with my now wife, uh, Joy. This would be like me when I first approached Joy if I wanted to give her uh, a call and maybe uh, ask her out on a date and to say, Joy, could I give you a call sometime and can I have your phone number? If necessary, use digits. It's necessary. They go hand in hand, word and deed together. You with me so far? All right, so this morning, it's been Jesus both offering these, and now the mission actually expands. So here's where we're going today. There's a key word in our passage that is used in many descriptions of the character of God that we're going to explore through the scripture I just read, and that word is compassion. So where we're going today, I have three parts, and we're going to explore the motive of compassion, the means of compassion, and the mission of compassion. Okay, for all my note takers out there, those are going to be three of the hooks as you follow along with me today. The motive, the means, the mission. First, let's start with the motive. Turn with me. Uh, in, in the scripture to chapter 9, verses 35 through 37, we read, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news, that's the word, of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness, the deed. 
And when he saw the crowds, he had what on them? Compassion. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So compassion here is a word used throughout Scripture in defining God. God is defined as a compassionate God. Jesus here is described as having compassion on the crowds because they were harassed and helpless. So I want to trace this through a bit of Scripture for you. Even uh, back into the New Testament, the places this live uh, are descriptions of God. God is described as compassionate or in showing compassion. And in the Hebrew language, this same word is really closely related to the word for womb. Meaning the safe place, the place like a fully dependent child is brought in. Like the ultimate place of love and care and compassion. The prof- in Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, um, God declares that just like the nursing mother could never forget her baby, so much more could God never forget his people. That's how the compassion of God is described. This movement, this, this, this seeing a need and having the solution and, and that, that motherly love and bringing in to a baby who is totally dependent upon that love and care. That's how God's compassion is described. Why did this particular passage resonate with me this week? I don't know if you see some bags under my eyes. Joy and I have a six-week-old baby at home. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Jimmy. So Brighton was born in July, and I am seeing this. I am seeing this move of a nursing mother to a baby. This move that no matter day or night, we know that the bulk of those cries mean one thing. I'm hungry. And so I see Joy move and I see her bring in Brighton and there's this full dependence that Brighton has on her mother. That's God's compassion related to his people. And this is such a beautiful thing. I know right now that pretty much all of baby girls' problems find their solution not in me. They are found in joy. Amen. Yeah. I know also that my more significant roles are going to come later, maybe in her dating life, right? When some young man will need to subtly or not so subtly know that Brighton's dad is an expert spear fisherman with the Hawaiian sling, spe- uh, sling spear. Okay, that's a, it's a six foot spear. Th- you get the picture. It's fine. And then probably in that moment I'll be reminded of and say, hold on, what was that sermon on? That? Oh, it was on compassion. Okay, God's compassion. But it's this beautiful moment. And in Exodus, God's people were enslaved to the Egyptians. They cried out to him. They groaned to him in their suffering. And in response to those cries, we read that God was moved or he was deeply moved. And then he did something about it. It resulted in an action and he rescued them out of slavery. That's the compassion of God. 
And we can trace that through redemptive history, trace that through scripture as a new era of God's compassion arrives, as he sees a world lost in sin, as he sees the plight of the people. God is moved by compassion again. And then actually, this is what is so unique in the Christian story, his perfect compassion arrives in the form of his son, Jesus Christ, to the scene. The action of entering in to rescue. That's the Christian story. You'll hear me say it almost every time I preach. Much as we want three steps, ten steps, Kyle, for me to reach God, the Christian story is actually about the infinite number of steps God has taken towards us in the form of his son, Jesus Christ, right? He has done what we could never do. One very common passage, but I love it because it shows God's love and compassion for the world. This is John 3.16. God's compassion come to life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So that's our motive of compassion. It's a uniquely Christian foundation world view, and it's exactly what we've been seeing Jesus do these last several weeks. It's where we arrive. And the Greek word for Jesus' compassion when he saw that they were harassed and helpless, sheep like a shepherd, is this deep feeling, this movement deep in his, they call it viscera or bowels. Jesus felt that. If Think of it this way. If you ever use the expression, I felt it in the pit of my stomach. When Jesus saw these crowds today, that's what he felt. And what does God do when he is moved by compassion? He enters in. So here we go to the state of the crowds. Verse 36. They were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. This flock of people, the words here again, we see harassed and helpless, but there's translations that can literally mean they were flayed and torn. And so flayed and torn, what do you mean, Kyle? Picture with me Discovery Channel or National Geographic and you see whatever cute little animal and the predator is about to come through. And the predator has been given free reign among that flock. They were harassed and helpless. That is the condition of these crowds that Jesus is seeing right now. They were harassed physically. We know that many were poor and hungry. They were harassed spiritually. Jesus here gives a subtle or not so subtle indictment of the religious leaders of the day who instead of relieving their burdens and making uh, life lighter are actually heaping up burdens on people, we read in Matthew chapter 23. So the motive of compassion starts with a deep movement of God towards the need. That's the same uh, compassion Jesus has today. That's the motive, okay? So we have the motive of compassion. Next, we move to the means of compassion. So you may be with me so far and say, okay, Kyle, I hear you. The compassion of God is amazing that he would give his one and only son. We see it in the life of Jesus and Jesus models it. I agree, but how does this play out? What does this mean for Jesus' followers? And I'm so glad you asked that question today. Because I'll tell you, it's right here in the passage. Jesus deeply sees the situation. He pauses to look at it. 
And then, does he see the need and immediately say, okay, disciples, here's your to-do list. Here's all the needs that need to be met. Go on down and check them off. No, he actually says something first, verse 37 and 38. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask or pray to the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Before he sends them into the need of the world, he said, make sure you get back to the right foundation. Make sure you get back to the right motive, which is the faithfulness of God, not your faithfulness, which is the ability of God and not your ability. It's a reset. Reset yourself. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. And check this out. Often when we see major movements of God in history, prayer plays a really, really important role. If you want to look at it in Scripture, read this week, Acts chapter 1, 4, 13, among others. But also, if you study the history of revivals, this would be in a nation, among a people group, uh, in a particular place, in a particular time, when there is this massive movement towards God of people. That's a revival, right? There's a renewal of faith in a culture. When you study the history of revival, you find one thing that is common in literally all of them. They've sprung up when actually the church had lost a lot of cultural power and influence, and what was left was what we call a faithful remnant, a group of faithful people who prayed, who loved each other well, and who burned with the fire of evangelism. You can trace it. You can trace it in the movements that have occurred in the United States of America, you can trace it today. I've been among these in East and West Africa, many places in Asia. It's a movement of God and it is founded on prayer. People of prayer. Because when you pray, you get back to the right motive. We had earlier this summer uh, a group of pr uh, prayer warriors from South Korea. They joined us here at Wheaton Bible Church and we spent a whole day praying together and they said, you know what, here's why we're coming. And they prayed over this space, they prayed over these chairs, they prayed over all of you in our student ministry space, around our building, on the land and in our community for God to bring renewal and revival, not just here at Wheaton Bible Church, but in the U.S. And why? They said 50 years ago, there was a revival in this country. Out of that revival and a leader of that revival was an evangelist named Billy Graham. And this country sent Billy Graham to South Korea and there started a rev our last revival when a million people came to hear about the good news of Jesus Christ. And this group said, we are the children of the million who came to new faith in Christ 50 years ago. And we want to thank the church in America by coming back and being alongside you in prayer for revival here. How cool is that? So when I say I'm excited to be a part of a global church family, those are some of the things I mean, right? So the means, prayer. Jesus also gives his authority. Keep moving with me. We're moving through our passage uh, coming out of 38. Now we're in chapter 10. 
There's such an important shift that happened here. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him, and then he, I don't want you to miss this, he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. And these are the names of the 12 apostles. Now, time out. Did you catch something there? What changed? The group was described differently all of a sudden. Before they had authority from Jesus, they were disciples. They were learners. And now Jesus gives them authority, his authority. And then we read, these are the names of the 12 apostles. He moved them from learners to sent ones. From learners to his emissaries. From learners learning under his teaching to the ones he would move out to the world. So Jesus has been the one doing the healing so far. And he goes, now it's growing. It's going to be through my people. I don't want you to miss that. Their descriptor change. This is the authority that Pastor Hannibal has been preaching about these last several weeks. It's the authority of the king. And then we get the list of those disciples, the apostles. And in the Gospel of Luke, we get an extra piece of information. Now, Jesus said, hey, before you make big moves, pause, do what? Pray. Luke 6, 12, we get the same account of Jesus calling his 12 disciples, move to apostles. And we read there in the same account, one of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray. And spent the night praying to God. And when morning came, he called his disciples to him. Isn't that neat? Jesus didn't just say, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. He prayed to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. So it turns out before big moves, prayer turns out to be a good call. Amen? And we're moving on. 10, chapter 10, verse 8. What does he give them authority to do and what does he send them out to do? Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. Now, a couple of things here. It appears to me that Jesus is reminding his sent ones. We see that uh, it's not on their own ability. It's not on their own things or power that they are sent out, right? He's telling them to leave that all behind. So the, the, the disciples here are, uh, it seems that they were called a lot less based on their ability and a lot more based on their availability ready to be sent out. Who are these uh, people that they're supposed to meet? Um, well, in, in missions world, the, the worthy person from this passage, we, we call a person of peace, which usually means trusting that the Lord is at, at work in the place the, the sent one is going. He is softing hearts. He is preparing the way. He's at work ahead of time. And then I also read a couple of other commentators this week who see the commands of Jesus here for them to travel light without any extra things like a missionary training exercise. He says, don't bring a cloak. Why not? 
Well, a second cloak would likely be very, very useful if they would lie down to sleep. That would be, they could wrap themselves in one and have one on the ground. Without a cloak, they're going to need to rely on the provision of the Lord for something, someplace safe to sleep. Without extra things, money, sandals, all of these comforts that they may lean on on the mission, Jesus is saying, I am going to have you lean on me and you're going to learn in new ways that I am the one who will provide and I am the one who will sustain the mission. You see that missionary exercise that they're sent out to. I bring this up because this is, a, this is true in my uh, missionary journey. Now, when I was a, a, a younger man, I won't tell you how much younger. I was 23 and 24 years old. Um, you don't know what I am now. I lived on a really remote island group, okay? And, and this, is, this was detached from most modern luxuries. So things that I would enjoy now, uh, grocery stores, uh, places to eat, um, electricity, Amazon, things like that. Now, in the first months, this was a shock to my system to, to be out in this place. This is the aforementioned spearfishing skills. This is where it happened because those were needed to catch dinner. So, for a kid who grew up in the Chicago suburbs, who grew up in this area, um, God was preparing me in this way for a lifetime of living in and what uh, the Apostle Paul called knowing how to live in seasons of plenty and in seasons of want, really, and in everything in between. And it was such an important lesson for me to learn because the term luxury, man, did that get redefined for me. Luxury became every six to eight weeks when the cargo boat would arrive and and my field leader uh, may send some surprises and like all of a sudden, Like the ultimate luxury, I kid you not. I remember the day. It was a sleeve of Oreos and a canister of Spam, guys. (laughs) Luxury. But it leaves someone who has been through that for a while able to uh, kind of survive in these areas and actually learn, you know what? I didn't want for anything that I truly needed. I was provided for every step of the way. So do I, in new ways, in the midst of those circumstances, trust the Lord's presence and provision? Absolutely I do. Or a different story about this person of peace. Several years ago, uh, we were on a short-term mission trip with one of our partners in uh, the Middle East, and uh, our, our missionary there had let us know that the night before, he had prayed over a map. Now, there were 124 villages in this country, and he prayed over the one and said, God is sending our team. There were 12 of us from Wheaton Bible Church who went. God is sending our team to this place tomorrow. And he has a person of peace, a family of peace for us. And so we get in our van, we drive, we're driving through the community. He's sharing a little bit more about the community. And we know, Jeff, you were there for this, weren't you? Yes, We're driving through the community, and he's letting us know. He says, well, this place is actually known for high persecution of Christians. This place is actually known for uh, these types of violence and and, uh, drugs and, and arms dealing and things like that. And he's telling us, and we pull up, and he points, and he says, that's our family. And there's a couple of people sitting on a, on a front porch, and he rolls down the window and yells out the window and he turns to me and lets our car know, 
I just let them know there are 12 American Christians who would like to have coffee with them. (laughs) To which part of us were excited. The other part, right, Jeff, was like, dude, you can't say that here. But you know what happened? They were that that person of peace. God had gone ahead because in about 30 seconds, there were piles of foldable chairs being brought out to the front porch. There was coffee brewing, and we spent that whole afternoon talking with them, sharing testimonies, praying together in the name of Jesus, A, a member of our team praying over a young woman from this community over some of the deep wounds of her life and praying in the name of Jesus. So God gives the motive for compassion. Does he provide and give the means of compassion? You better believe it. He does. He goes out ahead. So here's some practical application for you today. You see, God's faithfulness goes before his sent ones. Ask the Lord of the harvest and then be open that you might be part of the answer to that prayer. I see so many times and I hear so many times and I get stuck. Um, Praying and praying and praying for miracles. I want to see one. But then maybe avoiding the context in which a miracle happens. Meaning, you take the step. You say you're praying for your coworker that they would come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You're praying for a family member and over their marriage. But then aren't sharing Christ's compassion with them. Trust the Lord of the harvest that he will send workers. You may be the messenger God sends in answer to that prayer. You just might be. Go to the Lord in prayer and see what he says. Now you just heard from my experience. We've been through the motive of compassion, the means of compassion, and I'll finish, I'll get to the mission. But you just heard from mine, which I know is very global among the nations Um, But I heard another testimony this week from an amazing lady in our church um, who shared hers and her heart uh, for both this word and deed. So I want to invite you to watch this video and listen to the motive, the means, and the mission of the compassion of God. Week after week, I would go outside, I would look at the clouds, I knew that there was this entity called God. Well, maybe God would reveal himself to me through the clouds. I was just told he was in heaven and that it was up there. Maybe when they parted, I could see heaven. I had a great aunt who came and stayed with us for a week while my parents were gone. She tucked us in at night and she said, okay, now let's pray. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And that made me think, soul, what is a soul? She said it was the essence of everything I was. You know, I have a body and I have a mind and I have a heart, but my my soul took in everything. The words just melted in my heart and just kind of surrounded me and I just kind of wanted them to find a a settling place in my heart. God was standing there at my door knocking and I heard the knocking, but I didn't know how to open the door. I came home from school and found out my father had passed away that day. I went into instant denial, and I was full, fill, filled with hate, anger. If God exists, he is going to hear this from me. I went into the basement thinking one of three things was going to happen. Nothing, because God didn't exist. Or two, how dare you speak to the mighty God, and I would something terrible would happen to me. Or three, that he'd be like that great aunt that I had. Instead, 
I felt enveloped in love and compassion. And I don't know how I understood that that was compassion, but I did. At that moment, at 14 years of age, I felt compassion from God. After my dad died, I wanted to know how to have a personal relationship with God. It took six years before somebody came and talked in a language that I could understand and presented the gospel to me and described completely who God was and his son, Jesus. Then he went in to talk about how God wanted to redeem us and that he had a plan for us. Then he went out and talked to my husband and said, would you like to accept Christ as your savior tonight, Bob? And my husband, he was absolutely glowing. And he said, yes, I do. And I was just like, whoa, something has happened to him. So I prayed to God. I said, God, I wanted to have a relationship with you for the last six years, actually for almost my whole life, but I don't know what is keeping me from, from saying yes. The pastor said, Ginny, would you like to accept Christ as your savior tonight? My head went down and for about five minutes, literally I sat and I thought about it. I said to the pastor, I said, I believe that Jesus is the son of God and that he died on the cross to pay the, for the penalty for my sins. I said, but, he said, Ginny, leave it to the Holy Spirit to help you understand the rest of scripture. I'm like, I can do that. I can actually say, yes, I'm committing to, to Christ. My husband and I went into teaching, we went into, um, uh, different ministries here at church, and we learned to memorize scripture we, so that we would always have an answer for the hope that was within us, so that we could then share it with other people, you know, how they too could have this joy and, and this everlasting peace. God has given us all gifts, and he gave my husband the gift of evangelism. He was very bold. He wanted everyone else to feel that joy and that everlasting peace. He was evangelizing to everybody he saw. For me to just go to someone's door and knock, you know, somebody's, I don't even know them, and just knock on their door and say, I've got good news for you, you know, was something that I found uh, overwhelming. So I asked God to bring people into my life. And then uh, I had a stroke. And uh, all of a sudden, I'm in the hospital and I'm sharing with doctors and nurses and the people who cleaned my room. And I would have never met these people if I not had had my stroke. The thing that was interesting to me in reflecting back on it is, is that Jesus knew how much pain he was gonna be in and he willingly went to the cross for all of us, knowing he was gonna suffer this anguishing pain. And fortunately, I never had to be so selfless, you know? He just brought people into my life because he's got a better plan. My heart feels like it bleeds for, for other people. I remember back when I didn't know, it was just a matter of wanting to know God, but, uh, someone not being able to tell me to, you know, speak into my heart in a way that I would understand. And I think there's a lot of uh, questioning hearts out there who would love to have that joy and the love of, of the Lord. He walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. Amen, right? I love that uh, testimony and it fits so well. I love the moment when she had all her, she had her butt, but I need to understand and I need to, and the Lord will provide. He gives you the means to sustain the mission, right? I absolutely love that. Um, so if you want to look for Ginny around the church, her name, that's Ginny Deeds. She is known, you can find her. She's always, uh, she's always got a great hat. On, similar to what she was wearing, sits over here in traditional service. So if you see her, thank her for sharing her testimony today. Um, just, a, just a great story. Because that's where we go next, the mission. 
the motive, the means, the mission. Like Jenny just said, there are a lot of people out there waiting to hear this, waiting for the, the messenger to come to their life. And so turn with me back to our passage, Matthew 10, verses 5 through 8. Jesus sends out these 12. He sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. And as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Again, word. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have given, freely, or freely have you received, freely give. Now they are proclaiming, there's an interesting thing, it's a side note here, you say, okay, Kyle, I read, Jesus said, just go to the lost sheep of Israel first. Now we know later on, Jesus actually zooms this out and sends his people, his mission is to the nations. Right here, it's to the lost sheep of Israel first. I don't have lots of time to go into this today, but I see this as the reason being, this is a big part of the history of redemption. So trace back thousands of years to the very beginning of Scripture, God made a covenant, a binding promise with Abraham that Abraham and all his descendants would receive the greatest blessing, the Messiah, the Savior, and would therefore be a blessing to the whole world. So there is a, a fulfillment here that Jesus is living into among the Jewish people, um, saying first to the people of Israel, then to the world. Because the Jews would have been the ones with the prophecies of Jesus, the ones he is actually fulfilling. And so this is the next step of the story of mission up until this point. Okay? But then we fast forward. Very last passage in the book of Matthew, this changes. It's not just to the lost sheep of Israel anymore. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. The mission of compassion changes. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So here's a cool way to look at the Gospels. Whenever you read that Jesus is sending somebody out, whenever you find a sent one, you actually find bookended. Jesus says, I'm giving you my authority. You're not going on your own. And then he tells him what he's sending him to. And he'll say something again like, and remember that I'm with you. He does it over and over and over to remind his sent ones of that truth, saying the authority you are going out with is mine. The presence you go with is mine. So here's what I want you to hear today on the mission of compassion. I don't know about you, but I look out at the world and it occasionally or not so occasionally just seems hostile or angry. Often feeling or seeming out of control, feeling like in the middle of a storm. And I think in the midst of this, we have a couple of options in how to respond as Christ followers. One, with fear. We can try and find a holy huddle somewhere and just uh, uh, huddle up and try and be safe there. We can view it with anger and enter ourselves into whatever cycle of outrage is kind of in vogue to the day and feel like we're doing something because we've entered the cycle of outrage. Or in a response to the deepest needs the world has ever known, what did God do and what did Jesus do? 
entered in with compassion. Entered in for the good of others. To seek the prosperity of the city in which they were living. Entered in with good news. With calming news. With the good news that Jesus doesn't leave us to our own devices. He saves. So to look out on the worlds and see the crowds harassed and helpless, Jesus looks out there and has a response. It's not revulsion. It's not disgust that they are so broken. It's not a well. They are just getting what they deserve. And we praise God that he didn't say that to us or leave us to the same, right? Jesus looks in at that tremendous brokenness and is moved and literally enters in. And his answer for the last 2,000 years has been the same. He sends his people to enter in. Are you tracking with me? So the missions need. The laborers are few. This is why we do so much of what we do. We, we pray to the Lord of the harvest and, and we see the need around the world. It's why for our 93-year history, for every single year, we have sent out career missionaries into global missionary service and currently have over 90 missionaries supported by our church family and over 50 nations. And you know what? For another 100 years and more, that's who we're going to be and that's who we're going to do. God is going to raise up you among us and we are going to send you out among the nations. Locally, this is why we do what we do. It's why you are called to volunteer in our local outreach ministries most years, Puente del Pueblo runs because more than 14,000 volunteer hours are given alongside under-resourced families in our community. That's incredible, and God is using it, and I want to tell you that. In some of the most persecuted, unreached places of the world, we have national partners, believers in their own home countries. I was reading some of their yearly reports this week and did some back-of-the-napkin math. And just a handful of partners in their goals, what they are planning in some of the most persecuted and unreached places of the world are to reach literally hundreds of thousands of people with the gospel. Amen? But church, each week, this is why we end our services by reminding you that you are... You are... Sent. This is what we mean. It isn't just some feel-good moment. We believe that God is looking out at the world. We believe that he is looking out at your family, at your neighborhoods, at your workplaces. Students, listen up. I know you're starting school this week or last. He looks out at your schools, at all the businesses you frequent, at all the spheres where you have been given influence. And what happens. He is moved to his depths, that to his core, with compassion. And again, his response is what it has been for over 2,000 years. I will send my people. Do you hear that? And do you trust that he goes with you? The motive, the means, and the mission. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray to you this morning, like Jesus showed us to in our passage today, to the Lord of the harvest, we pray to you to send out your people, 
to set us on your firm foundations. Lord, give us your motive, compassion for the world. Grow us in trust that you are the provider of all the means we would ever need to accomplish your mission in the world. And we thank you, Lord, for your compassion. You didn't leave us alone. You didn't leave us lost. Your compassion was shown most perfectly and beautifully in your son, Jesus Christ. So I pray that you would grow us as sent ones of that compassion to a world really in desperate need of it. It's in your most holy name we pray this morning. Amen.